Apologetics.com radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. And um, I'm live right now. It's the, I was going to say it's December. It's definitely not December. Not December anymore. What, what is it? Is it February? It sure is. February 19th, according to my computer here in front of me at 12.01 a.m. We are live here in studio in Glendale, California, and I'm with my good buddy, Chris. How's it going, man? It's going good. Yeah? Yeah, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's uh, I'm kind of tired tonight. Yeah, well. A little bit. That's why we got the tea. That's why we got the tea. We were drinking tea. I'm on my second cup, and uh, I want to let you guys know a few things up, um, up front at the top of the show, at the top of the hour. We are live, and we're live because we want to hear your questions. And um, if you have any questions at all having to do with um, religion, worldview, ethics, morality, anything really, I'd, I'd love to uh, take them. And you can give us a call at 888-995-5552. That's 888-995-5552. I personally would much rather answer uh, calls tonight than just hear us talk, but <laughs> talk we will if we must. So, um, no, and I, I do want to say a big thank you to every single one of you guys who's listening. I know it's late or early, depending on how you look at it. Uh, many of you are at work or coming off of a shift and uh, driving home or whatnot. And uh, thank you so much for your loyalty. Uh, a special thank you to those of you who are supporting us through your financial donations. And if you'd like to get a, be a part of that special group that is supporting us uh, through financial uh, tax-deductible donations, you can go to our website, apologetics.com. You can click on that Donate button right there at the top of the right-hand corner. And uh, every single penny goes towards keeping this show on the air. Did you know, Chris, that this is the longest-running show here on KKLA? I think you've told me that before, yeah. It's like been like 23 years. That's amazing. I haven't even been a Christian for 23 years. Neither have I. It's insane. It's absolutely ins- it's, it's I think it's incredible. And actually it's all because of you guys that are that are listening. Like I said, you guys keep us going. Uh, we do this for you. So again, if you want to give us a call and, and talk about anything having to do with, of course, apologetics, but in the area of ve- ethics, values, and religion or anything like that, give us a call at 888-995-5552. And uh, we'll be here for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. And uh, you know what we should talk about tonight? What's that? I think that we should talk about eschatology. Okay. Let's do it. I think that's what we should talk about. Okay. <laughs> because, hey, it's midnight on a Friday. What else would we talk about other than eschatology? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, specifically, um, well, how about this? Uh, what are the major views that you're aware of, Chris, of es- eschatological? Do you see how I said that seamlessly? Eschatological? I love that word. <laughs> what are the major eschatological positions out there? Um, and according to you... What yeah. are they, and which one do you ascribe to, and why? <laughs> yeah, so most eschatological systems um, are named or based around their interpretation of the millennium, so, which is the thousand-year reign mentioned in Revelation 20. I just want to clarify, when we talk about eschatology, we're talking about like end-time stuff. Yes. For those of us yes. like me who... I don't know. But anyways, okay. So yeah, so they all center the, the for name's sake, they all center right on around what's known as the millennium, right? Which is the thousand year reign of Christ mentioned in Revelation twenty. The thousand year reign, yeah, of Christ is the millennium. Yes, mentioned in Revelation. 20. So 
there's classic premillennialism, uh, which of course um, their idea is that Christ's return will be before the thousand years, before the millennium. Um, you've got um, awe millennialism, which is essentially a um, a non millennium or a unquantifiable spiritualized millennium, um, not a specific thousand years or even a specific amount of time per se, but more of like a spiritual uh, millennium, um, not actualized in reality. Oh, interesting. And then, is there a physical like Jesus reigning? There is a Jesus reigning, but it is in tandem in in at the same time as essentially Satan uh, ruling and reigning in a in a minor way. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So it's it's both at the same time, and so y- you know Satan's reign can explain why everything is going to hell in a handbag, and uh, Jesus's reign is simultaneously happening because souls are being won. Disciples are being the made, kingdom is being furthered. and the kingdom is being furthered, whether we see it or not. Okay. Um, but then there's the post mill, uh, post millennial uh, understanding, which interprets uh, the return of Christ coming after the thousand year reign. Um, you use quotes when you said thousand year. Reign well, because it, much like, well, not much like, but kind of like Amel, there's not. It's not a specific 1,000 year reign that most post-millennialists believe in. Um, they believe it to just be a long time. Okay. So, um, so that when it says 1,000 years, like I'm just going to read this passage. Yeah. Like, okay, Revelation yeah. 20, starting in verse 4, it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was com- committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, oh my, for those, for, for there were witnesses to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark or their foreheads or, or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who was part of the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but, shall, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for uh, a thousand years. Interesting. Thanks be to God. Holy smokes, man. <laughs> That's intense. And the fourth system that we didn't mention yet is the um, dispensational premillennial uh, understanding. Okay. So that's more of the most popular um, understanding in our modern American church, and it's, you know, like the Left Behind series, um, that <laughs> that whole kind of Which like one the one with Nick Cage or the one with um I don't know I didn't uh, see who's the other Kurt Cameron I, Yeah, I didn't see any of them. You didn't but, see any of no, them? No, I didn't. I thought you said you were a Christian. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know you weren't a Christian. Yeah, no, I you know. They're fantastic, man. The ones with the ones with Kurt Cameron are great. Yeah, I didn't see them. They're great. Okay. We'll watch them together okay. me and you. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Movie, popcorn. Well, maybe not popcorn. We can eat some celery together. Yeah, seriously. But um, okay, so keep going. Okay, so so those are the major views. Yeah, those are the major. And what is dispensationalism? Well, dispensationalism. It's um, it was it's fairly recent. Um, it was popularized by the Schofield Study Bible, um, uh, and it was essentially a new system on interpreting 
um, prophecy and end times. Yeah, this is only like sixty years old or something. No, it's 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 older. I think it's from eighteen hundreds. Oh, it is. Um, okay, or maybe early, early, early nineteen hundreds. I'm not sure. Um, but basically, what it is is it's a it's a system of interpreting, um, you know, when Jesus returns. But it also is distinctive in that it includes um, popularized by the Left Behind series the whole rapture idea. The Antichrist idea and the seven-year tribulation idea yes. and all of those things. Is dispensationalism the only view that includes those things, like a rapture uh, and the, the Antichrist and stuff like that? I think as far as that system as interpreted like I just listed, yes. But every system, as far as I am you know, reading, um, understands the rapture to indeed take place because it's scriptural. But what the post-mill system, which is what I kind of subscribe to, um, understands it as the uh, resurrection. Yeah, sure. So the the rapture is not a second event. The final resurrection. The final resurrection. So it's not a second event or a secret event like um, dispensationalism would, would, would say. Yeah, because the dispensationalists would say that there's a rapture and at a certain point before the tribulation right all christians will be raptured will be taken up in glory yep Yep. and not endure the tribulation yeah and so um and you know it's an imminent return um that they believe in so that means at any moment any time like could be right now yeah because everything's now filled now you know it's now and so there's an imminent return of Christ that is definitely one of the main facets of dispensationalism, um, whereas some of the other systems, including the post-mill system, that's not necessarily a main... Uh, the imminent return of Christ is not being taught. But but he could... But Christ could come back. He could come back at any... He could come back right now. Yeah. Um, right. Or he could come back in 10,000 years. Yeah, sure. You know? Oh, I want right now as opposed to 10,000 years. <laughs> well... I don't know. I, well, mean, I guess they're both the same according to God's yeah. you know, time, sp- time time frame anyway. Yeah, it just depends on, on, on how you view the kingdom and how you view it growing and how you see it coming into fruition, you yeah. know? And if, and if you know, we want Jesus to come back right now, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't seem like, yes. it, you know, that, that Jesus is ruling and reigning uh, physically, visually in all areas and all corners of the earth right in this second. Well, so. it's also it's also part of the things, one of the things that's amazing about God is he's patient and long-suffering. So the question is, at least when I'm, when I'm traveling around speaking on the problem of evil and something like that, one of the points I bring up is, like, what if God, because God will deal decisively with evil someday, like decisively. Right. Every tear will be dried. Like evil will be wiped from the face of the, the the universe. If he did that right now, like where would we be? You know, where would you be listening right now at midnight? If if God decided to deal with evil once and for all, where would you be? Right. Right now, it's part of actually God's amazing love and grace. Right. That He's postponing. Yeah, mercy for he's sure. Giving us mercy. Yeah. You know. And um, anyway, so yeah, that's a great point. So you said that you you kind of showed your cards a little bit. You're yeah. you, you subscribe or at least lean towards the yes. post millennial yeah. side. Can I ask you why? Um, yeah, I it's mean, true. Yeah, yeah. I I do think I do think it's true. Mm-hmm. I do think it um, systematizes with scripture um, 
the best that I yeah. that I could understand. Um, but it's also a new new kind of belief for me. Yeah. Um, I was I was um, it, my dad is a Calvary Chapel pastor, and so the dispensational <laughs> exactly so the dispensational premillennial perspective was mine um, so you're not welcome at thanksgiving anymore no he's he's great no my dad loves me and i love my dad um but it is a you know it's it's a it's a strong strongly held belief system in the calvary chapel it's movement a for sure tenet, for I sure yeah. for sure yeah. so the rapture is 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 a big deal um now uh, but, you know, let me rewind a little bit. About 12 years ago, um, you know, I, I kind of had a crisis of faith myself and was reaching out for um, things that I knew to be true and, and, and um, reaching out for help in the sense of um, what, what, what was going to help me through this specific time that I was going through. And I was having a hard time. Uh, coming up with anything. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I was crying out to the Lord, and, and um, there was a... Uh, I did not ever dip into classic works. I never read Jonathan Edwards. I never read Augustine. I never read Calvin. I never read all these guys. And part of that was because they weren't really from that same kind of belief system, as you would say, like the dispensational Absolutely, thing. Absolutely, yeah. And so... In this crisis of faith, I started reaching back to the time-tested old guys, you know, that, that um, you know, had something to say to what I was going through. And I just started reading all this stuff, and, and, and really the sovereignty of God just kind of, like, overtook me. Yeah. Um, and as I was reading, you know, um, The End for Which God Created the World by Jonathan Edwards, I was just like, his glory was everything. And and it and it removed the center of the universe from my heart and me. Yeah, that's to really good. to Christ and uh and his work and what he did for his glory. And and it and it removed um it just humbled me. And so I I changed so many things as far as like my belief structures and what I believed about this and that and the other thing and as as that kind of like teased out and worked out in my life eschatology was one of those things that I was like, well, I don't think I believe the same way anymore. You yeah, know? sure. And I'm reading these old guys and they're, <laughs> they're not like landed necessarily anywhere either. They're all over the place. And so for me, I kind of was one of those guys that kind of like put eschatology on the shelf and said like, you know what, in the end, we're all going the same place anyway. Sure. sure. It's all going to pan out in the end. So I'll just, you know, whatever. Ride the wave. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. It's, it's not a big deal. Eschatology doesn't matter in that sense that much. Well, Fast forward to last March, um, 2021, um, uh, our good friend, David Deutsch, my pastor, Davey. <clears throat> was teaching pastor Davey. through Mark, and he actually was teaching from um, a preterist, which is a whole other term, um, perspective on the destruction of the temple. So preterist is just a term that says that most prophecies have been fulfilled yes and a few outlying and some and and some people like to make the the um distinction that it's partial preterism which is um you know a good distinction if 
if if you want to be clear, because full preterism or hyper preterism, I guess is what it's called, is when they start going too far with it and they think yeah. Christ came back a second time already and but everything's that's like, been... But but that's a raw like uh, I, before we got in the air, I was reading an article about this by uh, Joel McDermott. Yeah, and he made the point that that's actually a kind of a you're stealing the terms there. The term for that classically understood preterist is the understanding that most right. of the prophecies that's the traditionally held right. belief by a post-millennialist the term uh partial preterist is something made up I, it seems to me by the criticizing camps right it's it's a critical term that has been brought in instead it should be preterist and hyper preterist right. not preterist and right. partial preterist right so anyways I, that's just something that i thought was curious in my yeah that I read. and i think it's important to note and i've never met this kind of creature, but apparently there is some post millennials who aren't preterists. I think from what I've read, I've never met one, um, but whatever. So yeah. So interesting. Yeah, I know. I don't get it, but um, (laughs) so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I was listening to David preach and I, I, I saw him take my eschatology off the shelf and and start dusting it off and i was like oh man gotta go back to that so i had to kind of like dust off my my thinking cap and dig into david um, does that sometimes yeah and so you know i i had already read a lot of pre-mill books um i had read a lot of all mill books matter of fact i would say at this march of last year i was pretty much an all mill uh, not a card carrying all mill but i probably landed there and you were coming from that uh, that dispensational, dispensational background, yeah. and the dispensational background is one that not just focuses on the rapture, but they believe in certain dispensations too, right? Yeah, there's a whole system. Okay. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't want to get into that all that, and I can't actually anymore. I don't remember much of it, okay. but um, but yeah, so uh, I started reading postmill books for the first time, um, and and started trying to grasp that whole system and and really deal with what they believed and all of that stuff. And sure. As I did, I read all the important ones. Uh, uh, Matheson has a book. Uh, Bonson has a book. Ken Gentry has a book. Um, and various other guys have some good works, too, yeah. on postmillennialism. And so I, I just kind of, like, started eating it all up and was really trying to basically just get my head in the right spot for when David preached, <laughs> you know, preparing my mind for Sunday morning, the Lord's sure. Day. And, um, but in the process, I discovered, um, a really scripturally sound, um, interpretation of the end times. And it it really, um, you know, I used to think eschatology didn't matter so much. Um, but in my study, in my reading, it began to become more of a hermeneutic than I uh, actually thought. And so you begin to kind of interpret everything through this lens about the kingdom of God, about the progression of things, where this is all going, about the victory, the optimism in it, in our walks with Christ, and and how that plays out in our everyday lives, in our discipleship, raising the family, our businesses, civic stuff, all that stuff is affected by the way that you view what is going on. That's one of the things that I was going to kind of, I wanted to ask you is like, why does this matter? Because... Um, oftentimes, and there's there's truth to this. Oftentimes, this is a this is an, number one. It's an in-house discussion. If we're debating uh, systems of eschatology, uh, that means you're a Christian. Yeah, you know. So it's uh, it, it's an in-house discussion, and it should be 
approached as such, uh, with, with grace, you know, with, um, humility, right. Uh, with an understanding that these are systems that we are trying to figure out. Matter of fact, Justin Martyr, uh, second century was writing a letter to, uh, Typho the Jew. And that's the actual first time the millennium and the interpretations, the different interpretations of the millennium was mentioned in church history. Oh, that's really weird. And his whole uh, point of mentioning it was saying, hey, man, there's a lot of good Christians, good believers who believe differently in different ways regarding the millennium. And basically saying, like, don't let it divide. It's not a point of division. It's not a point of orthodoxy. So, I mean, we're talking... You know, Justin Martyr was like, like I said, second century. So we're talking like way back when, for thousands of years now, this is not a point of contention or a point of division. It shouldn't yeah. be in the church at all. And, yeah. it, and so it hasn't it been for a hundred years. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. Until this really came up for right. the, the first hundred years of the church, nobody was talking about right. this. Well, I mean, for good reason. I mean, they were running and right. trying to figure stuff out, <laughs> yeah. like other stuff out, you know. Yeah. Uh, they certainly didn't sit where we sit. Right. Um, Right now, but it is an important discussion. You know what? I actually, before we get back to why it's important, because I think a lot of the meat, I, I want to make sure that that we don't get hung up in the in the in the weeds mm-hmm. of these systems. I'd love to talk to why. I'd love to talk about why this is important to the, to look at these things, and also why I am in agreement with you on this stuff. The the po- the post millennial position, I think, is the better all-around position but before that we have richard on the phone and he's calling for clarification on something i think let's let's see hey hey richard are you with us yeah i was wondering if you, if you could elaborate on something you said uh, a couple of weeks back it sounded very interesting okay it had to do with um uh, why when a band becomes a christian that they have to tone down their music i believe it's what you said or, or I think you said, why can't Christian music be of high quality? Uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot. And, and <clears throat> because, you know, like I, I often think, well, what if, you know who James Brown is? I, I, I do. Um, I do. Like, what if James Brown became a Christian? Would he have to, would he be told, hey, uh, tone it down with the dancing, tone it down with the soul music? I hope not. You know? Because I think what you said was, you know what, if music, if rock music is of high quality, that's going to bring people in, and you can glorify God in that way. Is that what you said, or do you remember what you said about that? Yeah, you know what, vaguely, um, just, I don't even remember saying it on a show, but did we talk about this, Chris, do you remember? Um, me and you talked it's, about it was a this. comment. Me okay. and you, me and you talked about this a whole show actually, okay. which was Christianity in the Arts. I think at apologetics.com. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we're we're tracking with you, Richard. If if I, my, I'll I'll give a, a short response, and I'm going to turn it over to Chris too because Chris is an artist. My comment was wasn't so much that uh, that Christians like artists who then become Christians have to tone down their stuff. Actually, I wouldn't say that at all. I would say that. Um, my my beef is is why can't artists just be the best and they don't like instead of yeah. just being a christian musician you know if james brown becomes a music becomes a christian like i want him to continue to be james brown and rock us you know yeah. with, with everything yeah. and 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 just now in the name of jesus now what happens is, is i feel like though the way that we'll we'll keep it limited to the music industry although it, it follows to all of the entertainment industries i feel like certainly the movies 
is you know these th- these artists um, they're putting like they're why aren't they the best you know what I mean like like instead of making cr- Christian music I think they should just make awesome music and music that everybody wants to listen to now of course being a Christian is going to put limiters on you right you can't uh, I don't think I don't think Easy E when he was alive could have become a Christian and still participated in NWA. And, and done gangster rap, but he could have stu- st- stuck in the in the rap game, and and taken it over, uh, taken dominion of that for Christ. I have a number of uh, friends who are hip hop artists now, um, who don't necessarily just put out Christian uh, hip hop. Now, Chris, what would you, what would you say? Yeah, I would I would echo the same thing you said. Um, you know, one of the things that we talked about when we were talking about this on the show uh, months back was. You know, the when you take scripture, for instance, and you were just, a, you know, Russian roulette or Bible roulette scripture and open up to like Song of Solomon, that's a pretty scandalous, <laughs> risque kind of, uh, you know, section of scripture. But it's the inspired word of God. Yeah. Taken in context and all together, it is part of this grand narrative. And I think one of the things that Christian artists fail to do is to look at their songs or look at their little pieces of work as parts of a whole. Yeah. So you can talk about, you know, sin and just dwell there and just live in that depravity or live in that moment and then move on to the next song and bring in the hope or bring in the redemption or what you want to, whatever you want to do or span that over a couple albums. It doesn't matter. I, I, I just am more interested in the human experience and relating with people in their, uh, you know, um, in all of life's valleys and mountaintops. And yeah. that's what connects. If we're going to just try to package up a song with, you know, uh, a problem, a solution, and then, that's you right. know, I remember you praise, then every single song is going to be almost fake. And, it, and it's not it's shallow. Actually, what life experience is like. Sometimes we, you know, we, we, we are left heartbroken for a long time. Yeah, and that's one of the beautiful things, especially about music, Yeah, is it can bring us there. Does that, does that uh, get to your question, Richard? Yeah, and one more thing. One of the things that churches say is, hey, uh, you can't be doing that lead guitar. you got to focus on Jesus. It's not about you. It's about <laughs> Jesus. You, yeah. you hear that a lot, you know. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. So uh, stop that, uh, you know. I, I hear that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a that 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 there's a lot there. I think context matters. Um, what's going on? You know, one thing I would say is that that Sunday mornings isn't a rock <laughs> concert. Yeah. So I think that that worship is different than uh, enjoying really solid good music. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah. but so so there's a respect that goes into the worship service. But for example, the church that Chris and I go to, uh, our worship leader is like literally a rock star like i mean he has uh been the lead guitarist for some of the most famous um bands not christian bands and singers in the world and what he does is he uh he he gets up there and plays acoustic guitar on sunday mornings and sings hymns um you know but it's a i mean it's beautiful and he lends his talent in that way in a very it's a reverent respectful way that fits our service that's not the only way to do it um, it's the way that we do it, but uh, certainly I don't think you want a rock concert at worship service. Yeah. Um, but that's well, thank you. Yeah. Hey, you're very welcome, Richard. Thank you so much for calling. Thanks for listening, man. I really appreciate it. 
and um, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go because we are coming up to a, actually a hard break. I hear a oh, perfect timing, Richard. It's a divine appointment. <laughs> you perfectly filled up the last couple minutes of this segment. Now we're not going anywhere, so I don't want you going anywhere either. We just really kind of scratch the surface on our topic of eschatology and time stuff, guys. This is uh, this always garners quite an audience. So, uh, so we're going to be back in, I don't know, like 45 seconds or 60 seconds. Uh, and we'll be back with you on this apologetics.com radio. The mission of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. This is John MacArthur with another edition of Portraits of Grace. The story is told of a missionary on board a ship who was awakened one night by a frantic cry of man overboard. Immediately he grabbed a portable lamp and held it at the window of his cabin. He couldn't see anything. The next morning he was told the flash of his lamp emitted just enough light to enable those on deck to see the man and rescue him. Wow. Darkness is even more debilitating in the spiritual realm because it represents sin. Fortunately, Christians have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Praise Him for granting you the saving grace and the illumination of His Spirit so that you could recognize His truth and respond accordingly. Be a light that shines for the sake of others. This is John MacArthur looking forward to bringing you more Portraits of Grace. Joseph was only 17 when he was thrown into the pit, but 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. Hello, I'm Chuck Swindoll. Do the math. 13 long years since the bottom dropped out of his life. 13 unendurable years before things changed for the better. And yet when we read the Genesis account, we find no sign of discouragement on Joseph's part. Honestly, I cannot find it, neither can you, because it isn't there. Joseph was a man who lived above the drag of self-pity and despair. A lesson to be learned, living above circumstances and setbacks. We can surely learn it from Joseph. Pastor and teacher Chuck Swindoll. Visit Insight for Living's website at insight.org. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. And we are back just like that. It's like magic. It's like magic. Is magic bad? Uh, not in this context. It depends. It depends what you mean by magic. Yeah. We at, uh, so I work full time. My, my real job is a speaker and content provider and local outreach coordinator at 
stand to reason. And we have these uh, student apologetic conferences. They're called Reality Student Apologetic Conference. And the guy that um, we have travel with us, he's a good friend of ours. His name's Drew Mearsham. And he um, is an illusionist. And every once in a while, we will get a significant amount of pushback by a, a group of people because we have an illusionist wow. at the conference. And he does like <laughs> really cool stuff, like like really cool stuff. Like um, we've had him, uh, Alyssa Childers, actually. We were talking about yeah, Alyssa yeah. Childers before the show. She was in the green room with us uh, in Seattle last year, and she – wanted to uh test him out see how this works because she's kind of a doubter like a skeptic you know a yeah. questioner deep thinker and so he did this thing like think of a name any name write it on this piece of paper okay and he had me take it he never saw it he's standing way over in the corner had me take it fold it up and put it in a jar and then he just came back and sat down and through a series of odd questions knew that she wrote down bob dylan Wow. On the piece of paper. And it's just like, it was unbelievable. You know, it was magic. It was magic. Yeah. But good magic, you know. So anyways, uh, we are back. <laughs> That's my story to start off this half hour. Um, it has absolutely nothing to do with our topic, guys. So if you're listening, uh, you are still listening to the same show. This is Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. And uh, you can call in. We've, we've heard from Richard already, and I, that was a good quick call, actually, and uh, seeking some clarification from a previous show. That's a great example of calling in with whatever might be bothering you tonight. Uh, it's something maybe that was discussed on a previous show. Or if you're, um, I don't know, if you have any questions in the value, in, in the area of values, ethics, religion, and of course, apologetics worldview, give us a call at 888-995-5552. Um, and uh, yeah, and thank you guys again for listening. I am live in studio with my good friend Chris, and we are talking all things eschatology and you had mentioned like so just to sum it up we we talked about the four major eschatological positions yep um premillennialism amillennialism postmillennialism dispensationalism yep. and then um and you you've confessed that you are a postmillennialist and that um is uh I, I think it's a good a good view i'll, mm. I'll join you today i've had okay. a good day all the right world looks good to me today <laughs> so um, um you know yeah. i will be a post-millennialist today and um we briefly explained kind of what that position was i kind of want to get back to the the question that is on my mind is why does this stuff matter yeah in a practical way like like who cares you know i'm never going to write a paper on this i'm probably never going to speak on this all right um I don't think I, I can't really see a situation. It's not apologetic minded. It's not really something in my wheelhouse. So why should I care? I think the biggest thing that it changes, and we we talked a little bit about this at dinner, is um, you know I'm this. I believe m mostly the same things I believed before March 2021. I am discipling my kids. I'm working on my marriage with my wife. Um, on loving her as Christ loved the church. I am, you know, serving at my church, our church, and nothing has changed, but yet the mentality has changed. Meaning, um, you know, if, if, if we approach life and, you know, Christ's kingdom and discipleship and, you know, um, 
functioning in our day-to-day Christian lives, how we view Christ's victory is everything. It's the difference between, you know, if you're on a team um, playing like a football game and you know your coach is, you know, uh, you're 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 just not sure what his plan is. You're unsure of like if he's even sure you're going to win. Yeah. And everything around you looks hard and and guys are injured and people are dropping off out of the team yeah, because the they, don't, team's big. they don't they don't want to play anymore, you know. This they're just good. done with football. And then, you know, you've got this really scary looking team you're across the the scrimmage line from. Uh, it's it's a pretty scary thing and 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 it and it's a um, approaching that game, even if we are to win, it doesn't look like it. Yeah. And so all of our moves, all of our plays, all of our everything we do is going to be um, rooted in that kind of, you know, insecurity and that unsure feeling of like what we're up against. Yeah. Whereas if your coach has a plan and he knows, hey, no, 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 no. I've We're seen the win. films. Yeah. I know this team. We got it in the bag. We're going to do this, 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 and the other thing, and go. Yeah. Go, therefore, and demolish these guys. You know <laughs> what I mean? We're going we're gonna to approach that game so much more different. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so the center, um, you know, with this pessimistic view of the game, is going to wonder if, he's even, if it even matters, you know, what he's doing. Whereas if he's optimistic and he's got this – new hope for the future and this uh, eschatology of, of, of hope, so to speak. He's going to be stoked to be the center because he's playing a part in a victorious effort. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that matters in life and that, you know, obviously I went pretty far with that analogy, but life is like that, you know yeah, what I mean? It it's like where we, our mentality and how we approach all of this stuff really does matter. And um, you, you sent me a... Um... You sent me a piece that you're writing right now. Yeah. And um, it's it's actually really good. And it drives home. I'm just going to quote you here. You said, our lack of civil engagement, our almost unanimous withdrawal from higher education, our s- surrender to secularism, our lack of focus in the arts, entertainment, and even politics, I believe, is all coming to an end. Our world has suffered too long because the ambassadors to the to our culture, representatives which were meant to change it, and bring it to Christ have been preoccupied with escaping the world instead of engaging it. And then you go on to write this, and this is like this really I think highlights the difference between what highlights why I think post millennial the post millennial view offers something better than the other views. And we're not even talking about the biblical standard yet, the interpretation. I think the interpretation is is better too. But it, you said I've heard it said pessim- pessimistic eschatology causes believers to Hope for a king who already reigns. Hope for a kingdom they're already in. Hope to become what they already are. Hope for power that they already have. Hope for an age that they're already in. Hope for victory that has already been won. Hmm. Hope to do what they should already be doing. Yeah. Like, that's super powerful right there, I think. It's really good. You know, this is, I think, the post-millennial position. One of the reasons why I like it is because it, it, it's it's focusing on taking dominion of a world that's technically already been given to us. Right. You know, the, the king has come, the king has conquered, mm-hmm. and the king is reigning. Right. And we have to remember that in our eschatological view. Right. And then that affects how we live our lives 
practically speaking. Yeah. You know, and um, it, it, it is, it, it, everybody who I've read on this always says that the post-millennial view is the position of hope. Right. You know, it's it's a more positive outlook. Right. Um, which, which I like. And I also think it lines up with reality, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, you know, uh, one of the things that, you know, in March and then the following months that I was kind of introduced to is this thought of, you know, I'm going to have generations after me. You know, God could come back. Christ could come back. And, yeah. But if he doesn't, and if we are kind of entering into this church age and it truly is his kingdom expanding and growing and growing until at the end when it's essentially, um, you know, uh, entirely Christian, um, so to speak, then, <clears throat> you know, there's this. Yeah. The, the, you know what? Um, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the things like that I like to relate it to is actually the, um, <laughs> the, uh, so mustard sorry. seed analogy, <clears throat> you know, it, the, the way that I look at it is, you know, the kingdom is already here. It's already been planted and it's like a mustard seed and it's going to grow to be the Exactly. Bigger than all the other exactly mustard seeds. Exactly. Um, you know what we have right now is another caller. Okay. So let's take a break and get the caller in here. We've got uh, Brady. Uh, hey, Brady, are you with us? Yes, sir. How's it going, man? You know, life has been. Uh, I guess the Holy Spirit would put the word pleasant. Uh, I'm sorry. What was um, that word? Pleasant. Oh, pleasant. Okay, that's nice. 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 So, so what's your question for us tonight? So my, my question is this. Uh, you know, with the diversity of having abortion and uh, in most of our surrounding states, so uh, such as California, Arizona, Texas, um, Nevada, um uh, probably others that are, you know, in the minority, but, um, you know, in, in Romans, uh, Romans one thirty two, I'll take it to, um, it's, it, it states that something, uh, basically that though they know God is righteous, uh, decreed, um, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Uh-huh. Now, that's just part of the chapter, right? That's just a, a tip of the iceberg of the chapter. Yep. So my question is this. If... You know, what you guys were talking about earlier, I have a vast, uh, vague memory because of my uh, my eyesight's depleting, but I have uh, neuropathy, so uh, it really takes a toll on your brain and you're trying to remember everything and where everything is now. Um, but you guys were talking on a topic that, you know, really sprung a leak for me Um that all these doctors that are allowing for the, you know, when you go and vote, they allow uh, such characteristics to 
in habit of, of voting to have abortions. And then Texas comes along and says, okay, well, now it's against the law to have abortion and that women shall be uh, basically, uh, you're stuck with the child. And, you know, I agree with that in a way because of the fact that, um, well, 52,000 children, million children are already in heaven because of the abortion. You know, if you do the surrounding states, including California and Nevada and so forth. But my thing is this. How, how do they allow such behavior and, and why? Because it's, it's, it's murder. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, so the, the question has to do with a, you started off by quoting Romans one thirty two, And I think actually our answer in, in a lot of these ways uh, is found in that same chapter. It's the, it's, it's falling into the judgment of God and God is currently actively right now uh, judging um, uh, the, 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 the lawless. He's judging the, the people who are rejecting his truth and unrighteousness. He's judging our nation in certain respects, I believe, um, currently right now. And I think the uh, advent and um, prolifer- proliferation of abortion is one of the ways that God is, is moving forward. It's an evil that we need to seek to stop. I'd actually, there's also a correction too. It's 63 million uh, babies have been aborted since 1973 in Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, every, uh, every single day, you know, um, hundreds of babies are aborted uh, in this uh, in this country. It's 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 a, a very very sad statistic um, that that when we look into it. But the um, you know why why does God allow this stuff? I'd say it's a well. See, the thing is, it's not that God allows, but He allows to sustain the forgiveness by His grace and the blood of Jesus, and His Son. That gives you forgiveness. But the yeah. thing is, this is countless times. This isn't just once, twice, right. three times. This is 63 million individual times. That's right. If you count each, each child. I think God is long-suffering and he's patient. We kind of said it at the onset of the show. He's patient with his creation and it's a beautiful thing. That even in, in the midst of the evil, even in something as evil as abortion is, God is patient and slow to judge. He's slow to act. Just that, that in, in my opinion, and the way that I look at it, and the way that I read scripture, is that even if just one would repent, you know, and... True. and, and, and but now, does a dog eat its own vomit? No, absolutely not. I mean, we don't return to so our own vomit, but that's a different, I think that's a different principle here. I don't know how that relates to the abortion discussion. No, that, that relates because it's like this is a countless act that continues to ha- and make inhabited moves to our country. Like, I mean, people talk about stagnant water issues and or drinking water issues and and viruses and 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 sicknesses and and you know. Um, murder and hatred and all these crimes that happen, but you're, his children, his innocent children who don't have a voice or a decision-making, and it's like, well, 
we'll get another one. We'll produce. We'll produce another, and and so forth. And and it. How many times is God going to turn his his cheek until it's you know until it's it's done? So it's over. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's that's a question that, that only God knows, but it's actually interesting is um, that you're, you're actually echoing David, <laughs> you know, how many, how many times, you know, um, how many times, Oh Lord, will you allow these, you know, the, 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 uh, man, I can't remember the, the Psalm off the top of my mind. Um, you know, the, how many times are you going to allow these, these, the, these uh, violators of your law, you know, um, escape judgment. I mean, David was crying this out, you know, and so here's where my mind goes when these things are, are happening is I lean into the character and the nature of God. So I know who God is. Uh, he's good. He's kind. He's just. He's patient, like we said. Uh, he's merciful. Well, he's love. He's, and without he, love, love, we are bankrupt. He's also wrathful. He, he Vengeance he's is his. True. He's vengeful. He's So I know, one, that God is perfect in everything that he decrees. His timing is always perfect. I also know at the end of all of this, and this kind of relates back to the, the eschatological positions and then the discussion that we're having at the end of time, mm -hmm. justice will be had. Prevailed. Perfect, right. Right. perfect justice. Not, not this earthly justice. Justice, mm -hmm. true, unadulterated justice, unaffected by any type of sin is going to be had. So even in the face of wicked things like abortion, which is wicked, um, even in the face of things like genocide and these horrible, horrible crimes that, that we seem to continually do to each other, uh, that I look forward and lean into the promises of God. I think that that's why the promises of God, you know, uh, that, uh, that my grace is sufficient for you in weakness is, is where you find strength. These things are important when we think about these, uh, these really hard it's topics. weighing heavily on my heart. And uh, as, as it should. Brady, I think oh, it should. Gosh. I actually think I it should weigh heavier on our hearts than it normally does, and we should take these issues, especially the issue of abortion, more seriously. It's child sacrifice; it happens every Agreed. single day. But I will also say, just just in case I have to be clear on this, just because this stuff is happening all around us, it doesn't uh, it doesn't allow, like we shouldn't be we shouldn't use violence or force in these things. We we use these things, uh, we use the things that God has given us uh, in order to affect the abortion discussion, I'd say we should be writing letters to our government officials. You know, if, if you want to affect change, start, start there and who knows what will happen. You our know, politicians, yeah. you know, start, start training up uh, people in the church, you know, stand the line. That's, that's what I, up until recently, that's what I used to do on Friday morning, stand out front of the abortion mills, you know, let's, right. as the church of Jesus Christ, let's put our money where our mouth is and, and and stop just saying, hey, don't kill your baby because you're murder you're gonna be a murderer. How about we say, hey, you know what? I'll take care of you and your baby. If you keep your baby, wow. I'll I will I will provide for you. Me and my family will provide for you. You know, oh. if if uh if the, I, I look actually at an example from Colorado Springs, focus on the family a number of years ago. You guys can look this up, it's really kinda cool. They wanted to affect the foster system because the foster system in Colorado was a complete mess. So what they did is they made partnerships and called on the church to all the local churches and, and said, hey, if, if every one of you guys, uh, you know, uh, every church, if one family or something like that steps up and adopts a child or fosters a child, there'll be no need for government foster care anymore. And you know what happened? 
they eliminated the need for the government foster system because the Church of Jesus Christ wow. took care of the orphans. Mm -hmm. And as I far as believe. far as I remember, we we're commanded to take care of the widow and the orphan. You know, and these right. are the these are the things that really I, I'm right there with you, Brady man. I feel the weight a weight on me, and that's why I, I do whatever I can to affect it. Um, you know, whether it be standing out in front. My wife and I have committed to each other that if I, if we come across a situation where we need to step in, we will provide uh, care for for that uh, that baby and the mother. Right. You know, and um, so not not to uh, yeah. be a dead horse, the uh, uh, but. You know, it's interesting you said foster care out of Colorado is that I went through 47 foster homes and 12 different schools. Yikes. And then being adopted through um, adolescent youth uh, trauma, sexual trauma, um, I, I've, I went through it all. Um, I'm so you know, sorry and, to hear that, Brady. My, my wife is a foster kid, too. What's that? My, my wife, is uh, pro, like she came out of the foster system as well. And it's wow. a yeah. lot of a lot it's of horror time. stories, man. I'm sorry to hear that, but well, I'm thankful for you, you know, man. I, I I say it out of inspiration because you know I I hope I bring you know people to their knees and understanding in a way that you know that they can pray for other people because prayer Absolutely. is like the number one key than reading the Bible, right? So. You want answers to your situations, or you want answers to inspirational um, dignity and, and 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 things to conspire and inspire and, and inspiration to people's life. Then you got to touch people in a way where they haven't been touched. And I'm not talking physical. I'm talking yeah. emotional, spiritual. Uh, revival touch where you know i could sit here and pray for anybody and around the world and touch their lives that moment because that's how good god is absolutely so I, I agree with you i i know that if i went through what i went through <laughs> and one day i'll write a book but it's not now because you know yeah. i'm still young and i have so much more to give than yeah. just myself god will be willing but the point I'm making is we can't give up. Absolutely. And these, these kids that are uh, infants that are being murdered at, because people want to be irresponsible and, you know, are not irresponsible. I, but people I, want to be ugly Brady, and, and rape people. I completely you know. agree with you. And I actually, I, we have to get going because we only have two minutes left. But I appreciate you calling. And, uh, and thank you so much. I hope that you call back. I'd love to talk more. Um, about this stuff i you know um i actually i actually really love to i love to pray as well brady and you know therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed is what scripture says and it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working which is which is unbelievable and uh we chris only have two more minutes left so would you like to uh would you like to solve all the eschatology <laughs> the, the entire eschatology debate in the next 90 seconds yeah, well, I, I think that there's a there's a vacuum being formed. Um, I think that for a long time, our American Christian culture has been saturated by the dispensational kind of understanding. Yeah. And so there's been a lot of uh, predictions of return of Christ, rapture stuff. There's been a lot of stuff that's 
kind of happened and it's like oh it's almost oh the, there's yeah, 10 yeah. there's 10, 10 countries in the U- european union that must be the 10 heads or whatever and so <laughs> all of these things are happening and then it and then it keeps going and then it keeps going it keeps going so there's a eschatological uh kind of agnosticism at this point so there's a vacuum that's right and i think that eschatology does matter and the the way that we believe uh about the last days the last things actually informs the way we live our lives and so um there is a vacuum and i think that uh if we're going to see reformation and and a lot of us want to see reformation of the american church i think it's going to take um a robust back to orthodoxy kind of move of the spirit in the church and along with that a kind of a, a, a an optimistic victorious understanding of what we're doing here and kind of strap in for the long haul yeah absolutely but but it does it includes taking dominion exactly you know we take dominion um, over the things that God has given us and what has God given us he's given us everything everything and I think that with that position it, it puts us on the offensive and one of the objections, and we're not going to have time to really address it, but one of the objections that I hear to this position is, well, what about all the evil and suffering? Well, constantly throughout Scripture, I see a positive outlook on the suffering. I, all, I mean, I do. Every time Paul mentions, Paul in an article I was just reading uh, was brought up against the post-millennial pos- position where, you know, and, and I just don't understand it because everywhere, these are but momentary light afflictions producing us eternal weight of glory yeah. far beyond all comparison, yeah. right? So Paul is saying that the pain and the tribulations, the suffering that we go through, are producing something in us that otherwise wouldn't be there. They're they're refining us, preparing us for the glory that awaits us in heaven. So actually, the the tribulations, the pain, the suffering are necessities right. in this life. Without them, we'd be lacking. Right. You know, he he says that the tri- tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character a hope, and a hope that does not disappoint. Yeah. You know, this is Paul. Paul was very positive. And Paul knew what suffering was. Yeah. Yet he maintained a, yeah, he's a like, positive outlook. He's sitting in a jail saying, we got him on the run. We got him on the run, right? <laughs> it's like, what are, what are you talking about, yeah. Paul? Like, what, what, yeah. whatever you're yeah. smoking, I want yeah. some, you know? But but and I think the, the post-millennial position allows for that better than uh, any of the other three. Right. You know, right. and I like what you said about there's a vacuum here, and I think that for a long time we have been heavily influenced by dispensationalism, mm-hmm. and dispensationalism ultimately I feel like can lead can lead. I'm not saying everybody who holds this position is like this, but can lead to a kind of sit and wait, doom and gloom. It's yeah. all gonna burn yeah. mentality where that's not us. Yeah, whether functionally or at least uh, subconsciously. Yeah. You yes. Know. Yeah. Absolutely. So with that, wow, that was that was our eschatology position. And normally tonight's science night, but uh, but we aren't going to do science night without Dr. Leslie Wickman. She uh, she did, couldn't make it tonight, so we took over and did some theology instead. And uh, hey, guys, I really do want to say thank you for for listening. Thank you all for calling. I, uh, one of the callers I didn't I, I wasn't able to get to, and I'm so sorry about that. Uh, I would love it if you call back next week, though. And we can make sure we get your question answered. It was on eschatology, too. So with that, guys, hey, I'm John Noyes. I'm in studio here in Glendale and uh, with Chris Jenkins. And we are just stoked that you're listening. Thanks for tuning in. This is Apologetics.com radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.